Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast. I'm Thomas, and uh, today I'm going to do a song breakdown like I did a few episodes ago for Eating Peaches. This time I'm going to uh, explain how I made another song off of the album Eating Peaches. Uh, Nothing is coming from me. This is one of my personal favorites. Uh, I'm really happy with the way the whole thing turned out, the uh, the composition, the recording, um, seems to be a fan favorite, more or less. So I thought I would definitely dig a bit further and uh, explain kind of what's behind the song, how it came to be, how I made it, all that sort of stuff. I'm going to start by playing you the uh, sonic origin of this song. My uh, my theory of what first uh, got this thing rolling in my head here. And sure as cherries were made for eating, and fish were made to swim in the sea, you were made to be loved a lot by nobody else. So that's a song from this very weird movie called Haosu, uh from Japan. It's a Japanese movie from the late 70s. It's a horror movie, but... It's very surreal and bizarre and has this kind of um, experimental artistic bent to it. It's, uh, it's a cult hit among, uh, you know, movie nerds and hipsters. And just if you want to watch a really weird, trippy movie, um, sometimes you, uh, you'll find it on certain lists online. And uh, I've seen it a couple times um, with friends. It's a good movie to watch with friends for sure. And... Um, it has a great soundtrack, I think, uh, written by one or two, I'm kind of unclear on this, but one or two members from uh, a classic 70s rock band called Godaigo uh, from Japan. And I guess one of them is kind of fluent in English, which is, uh, which is unusual. So some of their songs are in English, like that one. But, you know, just a little bit off, like if it was an American song, I don't think we'd quite have lyrics like that that sounded like that. I don't know. I really always liked that song from the first time I heard it, even though it's super cheesy. I like the melody in the chorus. It it uh, just stuck out to me. So it's kind of playing in my head here and there as I'm going about uh, my days in Japan. I think this is, we're talking maybe 2013, 2014. A melody similar to that that you just heard, but closer to the nothing is coming from me melody just popped up in my head one day, but the lyrics were something ridiculous like, uh, let's take a trip to Walmart and get me the shoes I'd like, but don't read the price tag or something just totally non sequitur. But I was like, oh, where'd that come from? That's very weird, but I could see that being a chorus to a song. I don't, I don't know when, I don't know where, but uh, I'll remember that, even though that's just totally bizarre. So about a year later, I have recently come back to America from Japan. Again, this is around the same time as I made Eating Peaches. I'm in the uh, makeshift studio at my parents' old house, that uh, period of a few months where I was living with them again. And uh, I wanted to do something with that melody. I wanted to have just kind of a symphonic more up-tempo, just really catchy uh, song in a major key. 
I wanted to use that melody, but those lyrics had to change because, like, what do you do with that? That's just too weird. Um, but I was kind of interested in this idea that you just you channel something when you're being creative, when you're writing music, for example. You don't know what's coming from where. You don't know um, the origin of your ideas necessarily. You're just letting stuff flow, and you're not thinking about it. I th you know, a lot of people will say the best work, whether it's music or writing, fine art, you're not analyzing or using the left side of your brain too much, so to speak. So the song is not coming from me. It's just it exists independently, and I'm kind of discovering it. Um, so that's my best explanation of why it's called Nothing is Coming from Me. And that was the the thematic anchor of the rest of the song. It's, it's kind of a psychedelic theme, uh, soul-searching, not really pinpointing any concept or idea too much. Again, this is the period of time where I'm still very abstract in my uh, my lyrics and I'm not really thinking of themes or concepts that heavily at all. I'm kind of just whatever first comes to my mind with lyrics, if it fits the, the sound, I'm thinking more about the sound than the literal meaning, which uh, frustrates Weeming because she's a, a poet and words are a lot more important to her. Um, but so I sit at the piano and I decide how the whole chorus is going to go. And maybe 20 minutes later, I quickly just play four s simple chords and I decide that's going to be the verse. This is another bing, bang, boom sort of scenario. I, I, I decide the structure of the song very quickly. And one thing I was particularly uh, proud of is the, uh, the section right before the first chorus. I couldn't bear to repeat myself, repeat myself, repeat myself. I'm literally repeating the words. It's a, a little meta joke there in the lyrics. And I go to this weird chord. If any of you listening uh, know a little more about music theory, I'm playing a an unusual chord that doesn't c come up in music a lot outside of like jazz and stuff. Uh, um, an augmented f fifth chord, I think. I'm I'm playing a s what chord would it be? I think it's a C, but it's not C E G in the in the chord. It's C E G sharp, and it gives that kind of oh, this sounds off. Where's this going to resolve to? And then you go into the chorus. Um, it's a little more music nerd talk there, but. Uh, that was another kind of anchor in the song, like, ooh, that's, it's got that going for it. Otherwise, I just have this very simple, quick melody. There's lots of room for lyrics here. And I just kind of filled up with, uh, with stream consciousness kind of nonsense a little bit. I, I hate to say, if you, you listen to the song and you read some meaning in there, um, you know, take it then more than just like sur the surface, the, the face value Great. I mean, it's maybe it's kind of lame to say, but uh, I invite you to discern your own meaning from those verses and the chorus and how it all ties together. Uh, the, again, this is a period of my songwriting where I am trying to leave a lot more open-ended or abstract or ambiguous. So, um, But again, this just sort of opening yourself up to mystery and not being sure of anything, uh, it's not coming from me. So that that's that's uh, where where we're at. So I, I finish the uh, the melody, 
chorus and the verses, the lyrics, I, I got the structure. Uh, for me, that's key. I got to have that first. I got to be able to sit down at a piano and s sing and play the piano, do the whole thing all the way through uh, before I add parts. But I got to this point and I'm thinking, I want this song to be big. I want it to be epic, symphonic. Uh, th this is a few months after I'd finished making Pantheon Bar, if you're familiar with that song. That's like my most kind of out there sort of orchestral, lots of layers going on. And I, I wanted to do something else in that vein. Um, Phil Spector, the uh, legendary 60s producer with his wall of sound, that, that's kind of where my, my uh, head was at. I wanted to see how vast and sweeping I could, I could make this arrangement and just make it sound so much bigger than uh, me by myself just on a keyboard in, in that sort of more intimate setting. I wanted to do the opposite of that. And as any uh, good song arrangement goes, I think you start with the drums. You start with the rhythm section. I, at the time, did not know any drummers. I, uh, I didn't have any musical contacts in the area really at all uh, since, since coming back to my hometown after Japan. In Japan, I knew a lot of musicians. You know, I was in the city of Kyoto, a lot of live venues, a lot of uh, practice studios, just good scene there. But, you know, my first couple months back in Massachusetts, uh, I was kind of isolated in that sense. And I also was and still am on a pretty restricted budget. And I just wanted to go, go, go and, and make this thing come alive. So that means uh, drum samples, MIDI drums on the computer, you know, uh, doing, so I'm working in the drum machine space, but I still approach it the same way in terms of what sounds are going to make up this, uh, this drum part. I'm thinking kick, snare, hat, cymbals, but you know, the digital approximation of that. So it starts with the kick drum. And honestly, I think these are just drum kick sounds from like within Ableton, like the sample packs that come with the software. But the name of the game with this whole thing was layering. I don't just have one sound doing that one thing. I have three different sounds kind of mixed together in a certain way per part. Just the whole going large, going big. You know, I had a lot of spare time to, to obsess over this stuff more as well. So I'm like... All right, I'll mix these three kick drum sounds together. And I'm going to do the same with the snare. I'll do the same with the hat. I'll do the same when we get to keyboards. You get the picture. So I get this kick down, and then we got the snare going with, I think, the same uh, sample pack. Um, so you may have noticed, if you have a keen sense of observation that there's a little echo, there's a little reverberation going on there. Um, I very quickly started putting in all these uh, new sound plugins, and I, I wanted to get this almost kind of cavernous effect, uh, this very large sense of space. So that means lots of reverb. Uh, if you're familiar with the George Harrison album, All Things Must Pass, pretty big fan of that. Um, that's got Phil Spector producing it, and it just has a lot of reverb, essentially, uh, an echo. It just it sounds like everything is happening in a very big room. 
So uh, next we moved on to, I don't even know what you would call this on a kit, but um, some little extra sort of hat-like percussion to uh, add uh, some extra rhythmic flavor. <laughs> Almost kind of sounds like uh, rave music or something, but I wanted to give this drum track kind of more of a 60s vibe, uh, sort of a Beatles-y flavor, you know, as I'm thinking more about that George Harrison album. So I put in some tambourine, or at least uh, tambourine samples. I have it at different um, rates, depending on whether it's the verse or the chorus, mainly to, to give the chorus more of an oomph in comparison to the verse. So that's going to sound like... So kind of sounds a little grating on its own, but in the context of the song, I thought it just added this extra kind of interesting subliminal, subliminal effect to the song. So I was getting pretty happy with um, how this was all coming together. Um, the rest of it that I'll just play in quick succession here was um, the hi-hat part near the end of the song to really kick it up a gear is of the, we need cowbell. So I got some cowbell in there, got some tom-toms, love the tom-toms. And um, of course, you always got to have your crash cymbal right, uh, right in between two sections to, you know, I'm just thinking dynamics. I'm thinking overall almost like cinematic effect. So here's what all that sounds like. So, you know, you hear these sounds and you can probably tell they're very artificial. The pattern is very, I mean, really simple, very robotic. But you put them together in context and, you know, I think it, it starts to come alive and you really, uh, it just starts to make more sense. So here's what all the drums would finally sound like together. So I don't know, maybe still sounds like rave music, but uh, then I got the bass in. I, I usually like to uh, come at it like drums, bass, piano, and then see wherever else it takes me from there. But I mean, not to toot my own horn, maybe it's kind of weird to say, but I'm really happy with uh, the kind of bass line I came up with. It's, you know, even though it's my own music, I still find it really catchy and it like, even today it's still pops up in my head once in a while. Um, play a little bit of the bass from the verse and then from the chorus. Uh, this is me actually playing an electric bass, despite the fact I don't really practice that often or at all. Um, I'm pretty comfortable playing it in a recording context because I can um, you know, piece together as many different takes as I want to come up with the seemingly perfect um, run through. So, Let's uh, let's hear that in isolation.
I don't really know anything about how to mix bass or how to uh, affect it or treat it after you record it, so I left that to my engineer, Grant Wicks, who got a uh, much clearer sound ultimately than uh, what, what I have in here in the initial stages, but you get the idea. Um, I'm kind of emulating the Motown thing, in my mind at least, um, bopping along here. And uh, like I said, I move on to piano next. For my own music, at least, I have never recorded on an actual real piano, which is maybe kind of depressing to think. But um, before it would be the built-in piano sound on whatever keyboard I happened to own at the time. By this point, um, by 2015 pretty much, I was in love with Contact, which is uh, a particular program that you can have in your software. And you, uh, there's different instruments different libraries that you plug in there. And it's like any sound you can think of, you get pretty close in contact. I love it, I use it all the time. So that was uh, some contact piano. I forget what this specific instrument is called. And then I moved on to like one of my, just this is one of my favorite sounds I ever kind of cooked up and, and fit into a song. I got some organ on the track and uh, a couple of different kinds of organ. I had more of a droney church organ that was playing very long notes. And then I had this other, I guess it was maybe emulating a Hammond, but oh, it was just so fun to play. I'll, uh, I'll play that specific organ part in isolation here. I don't know, it just sounds like I'm at a baseball game or something, it's awesome. What you're hearing there is my computer just kind of fizzled out. It can't replicate all those notes. Like I, I was, I was pushing my uh, my CPU to the limit at this point um, with all the uh, different sound processing I was doing. Might also be worth mentioning at this point that you know all these different parts I'm playing. I don't write anything down. I don't even really decide anything ahead of time except oh, that instrument wouldn't work, but that instrument might. I'll look for uh, organ instead of electric piano here, you know, just based off of this feeling I have, this kind of intuition. And I come up with the part just by playing along to the rest of what I've set up already. So again, at this point, I had drums, bass, and piano. Each step of the way, I'm just like responding to what I put in before pretty much. So with the organ, you know, I'm just noodling around on the keyboard until... I, uh, I find something I like. Maybe I edit it a little bit afterward because it's it's all MIDI and I'm just moving rectangles around on a screen anyway. But uh, so that's how I ended up with that. And we come to the point where 
I, uh, I realized I have to get some other people involved in this. I've kind of taken it as far as I can go just uh, sitting in front of my, my screen at home with, uh, with my keyboard. So I decide I want some guitar elements in there. And I think what I did for a while was probably step away from this song, work on some others like Solo for Two was, was kicking around at the time. And then I started my senior year of college and I was also trying to actively make kind of new musical connections, meet other musicians and people that I uh, could collaborate with. So after posting some flyers with uh, my picture and some information about me, posting these, uh, these flyers up all around town and uh, around campus at UMass Amherst, uh, I met with a guitarist named Ben and he was pretty cool. We, uh, we had some musical interests in common, and he was interested in playing on the song after I showed him what I had so far. So I had him play both acoustic and electric guitar. Also around the same time, I discovered these sound booths at the, uh, the UMass Library. There were four of them, and it was awesome. It was like these little cubicle, isolated sound spaces that had mics and mic stands and sound treatment and you could rent these out for free if you were a student um, for at least like an hour. I mean, it was kind of first come, first serve and you couldn't be there too long if, the, if uh, other people were waiting in line. But it was a great way for, uh, for me to be able to record other uh, people on campus, you know, without having to worry too much about the logistics. We had this go-to space that we could um, agreed to meet at at a specific time and just bang it out. And uh, I had my trusty laptop. Well, not so trusty, actually. It broke down a lot. But me and Ben got in there, and uh, I don't remember. if It was a long time ago. I don't remember if it was one session or if we broke it down into two sessions. I, I think for the acoustic guitar, yeah, we just did that in, in an afternoon. And um, me being very fastidious and still obsessing over this layering idea, this wall of sound idea. I had him not once, not twice, but triple track three times play the same thing on an acoustic guitar, and I uh, squeezed it all together. So that sounds like... So I was really grateful to be able to add that extra element. I think acoustic guitar, just playing the chords really simply often helps to really flesh out um, the way a song arrangement sounds, um, even if it doesn't really call attention to itself very much on its own. On a second separate session with Ben, I think we even just met at like the common space uh, on the floor of his dorm or something. because. The electric guitar, sometimes I just record it straight into the computer. I don't use an amp or anything. We don't go to any fancy space. This, it could be done anywhere. It could be done on a bus. So poor Ben, I think I had him play for like an hour and a half, two hours just to get the... He, we came up with a beautiful part, but it was just physically kind of very demanding to play. Um, but we got it, and it, it sounded like this.
So I had that in the song now, and that was awesome. I realized as I was determining the ending of the song, how it would kind of fade out. I wanted more guitar, <laughs> but I didn't want to kind of bug Ben just to get like this one extra specific part that I didn't even know if it was actually physically feasible to play. And I, he was already doing something else during the ending anyway. So I, again, I think this was contact. I had these two extra kind of electric guitar emulation sounds that um, I played these cool little um, arpeggios made me think of like something on Blonde on Blonde by Bob Dylan uh, stuck inside a mobile or just this feeling of uh, kind of rambling, traveling, sort of wild uh, 60s country rock sound. And uh, that's that came together like... That just seemed like the perfect ending to me, to have that extra little bonus. It's like a bonus melody that comes up at the end. Um, and ex another example I can think of that is like, uh, if you listen to A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles, the um, George Harrison has this like three to five second little snippet at the end of that song where he's just playing this extra little guitar melody. And I like it when songs do that. They just like throw a little unexpected, something extra at the end maybe uh, combine that with a fade out. I, I just like that way of, uh, of resolving a song, kind of, you know, the story continues, something like that. And I did that and I was like, you know, F it, let's add one more little at home, do it yourself, keyboardy part to this whole thing. Uh, and, then I'll, and then I'll worry about the vocals. So I added some super cheesy sounding keyboard brass. Uh, I think I played it right out of my Juno. But, you know, when it's in the song, you don't know that it's not real horns unless you're paying real close attention. But on its own, it sounds pretty chintzy. So now we're in the home stretch here and we're just talking vocals, but... Man, did this song have a lot of vocal overdubs. It just, I just sort of stumbled upon uh, this Beach Boys harmony idea, or it was several ideas really, but first I wanted to get the main vocal. If I have any kind of regrets about the song as a whole, um, the recording specifically, uh, I'm not very happy with my own vocal performance in hindsight. Um, if you like it, great, cool. Probably shouldn't have said anything then. But uh, I'll play you a little bit of the my main vocals by themselves. Like I usually do, I'm doubling it, of course. So I have two different takes of me singing the exact same part, and then I put them together. I always do a lot of, uh, you know, tune correction afterward. Uh, pitch correction, I should say. It's not quite auto-tune. It's like manual tune because I got to go note by note and, and do it myself so it doesn't sound too robotic. But I really had to do it for this. Um, it's challenging for me to sing a song this fast with this many words, especially when I never practiced singing or at least I did a lot less 
back uh, in the time we're talking about. So that's going to sound like... You trusted me before you even knew me. You left when I said I was only joking. I had to make a sacrifice. But now you know I won't think twice. Why stay behind? The grass is always greener. I'd like to think I could dig a little deeper. Just do with me what you want to. And it makes me just want to tell you. What does this all really mean? Nothing is coming from me. So you can tell some harmonies creeping in there. I have different vocal melodies working in conjunction with each other because, you know, that's sort of how I'm approaching the rest of the song anyway. Uh, and I'm, as I did with Ben, I got in touch with some other lovely UMass people, uh, a couple of singers, actually. This is a few months before I met Huimin, so I did not have her vocals on hand, but um, I connected with a couple of different um, really great female singers. Uh, Julia, I think I met with first, and I had her sing some of my uh, vocal melodies in unison with me. Again, we met at that lovely uh, sound booth at the library, and oh man, it sh I keep saying like, and then I did this thing, and it was great for the song. This is what really like kicked the song up like 10 notches. I was, I was really excited by the time I, I got her vocals down. It sounds like... Just do with me what you want to. What does this all really mean? Nothing is coming from me. Another funny story about Julia. She, uh, I think we connected because she's, again, saw one of my flyers, but uh, a friend of mine who was also going to UMass at the time, he would study either in or near uh, a stairwell for some reason. And he talked about hearing this this haunting, almost kind of creepy, like singing hap happening some floors below him. He didn't, he couldn't see, couldn't really tell where it was coming from, but he'd hear this like echoing um, female singing from, from some distant point. And maybe it was like later at night or something. It just kind of, kind of freaked him out in a funny way. He's telling me about this. And then I relayed that story to Julia. And it turns out that was her just like practicing her singing in this huge echoing stairwell that uh, happened to be the same one my, uh, my friend was near. So that was kind of a, a funny coincidence. Uh, but again, I got Julia's vocals, and then I connected with another singer named Laura. Laura's awesome. Laura had a lot of uh, practice and experience singing in a cappella groups uh, and like doo-wop stuff, and just she had a lot of experience with um, creating different vocal parts beyond just a lead vocal part, you know, like uh, making a song out of just the human voice. So I wanted to Beach Boy style, if we're uh, we're coming back to that reference. So I definitely wanted to incorporate some of that um, influence. So we came up with. Ooh, 
So, you know, I've been talking about this song arrangement for like over a half hour now. I'm talking about so many different elements of the song. Something like this could end up getting muddy, not working out, feeling too disorganized. But somehow I just, I struck gold and everything still held together. I feel like it's worth playing the chorus of the song, but just all the vocal parts just so you get a sense of how everything was was coming together. Just you make me what you want to. You're such a special kind, but I picked the wrong time. What does this all really mean? Nothing is coming from me. And it makes me just want to tell you. All of the shapeless nights, she just didn't life be complete who could I possibly be when you write a song and then you come up with all the parts and then you do the best you can to mix it or at least prepare all the tracks to be fully smoothed out and uh, perfected by a mixing engineer and you sit with that mix mixing engineer while he does it to make sure um, you're both in agreement and you do it the way you like. You hear certain parts of songs like hundreds of times. And again, I do the, uh, the the kind of the tuning up, the pitch correction with pretty much all the vocals too. So I'm like going over each nitty gritty second of that. So this is like burning on my brain. I've heard that section so many times, but I guess it's just a testament to how well things worked out that it's like, I, I never get tired of it. I, I love hearing it. Um, seems to be a hit with you guys as well. So I'm happy about that. Um, yes. So I finally have gone over pretty much all the different elements of the song. So I'll cap it off with uh, playing it for you here now, and you can listen to it uh, like I do, where now you know kind of all the individual elements and you can hear how they all come together. Um, if you made it this far, I'm guessing you're you're interested in that sort of thing, kind of the, the musical production nerdery side of things. Um, so I made this for you guys. Um, you're awesome, and uh, we'll chat again soon. You trusted me before you i
feet like you 